I want to start with a quote from Charles Spurgeon who said this. He said, A genuine revival without joy in the Lord is as impossible as spring without flowers or day dawn without light. If there's going to be revival, and I think you know, we could take that on, on any level. Broad revival in the church, in the country, right? Um, or, or even in an individual level, in your life, if there's revival going on. In other words, God is at work. God is, is renewing you. God is, is, is growing your love for Him, your, um, your trust in Christ. You're clinging to Him. Things are moving in your heart in the right direction. He says if that's going on, it's going to be accompanied with joy. I don't think that he means that joy is the precursor to revival. I think he means revival is the the precursor to joy. But you know that revival is happening. One One of the marks of that is that there's joy in our hearts that's just as sure as flowers coming up in the springtime. The question I want to ask with that is, our joy and sorrow or joy and tears or joy and pain incompatible does does he mean there that if if there's genuine revival in the lord you won't experience tears i don't think so and i think that's where Paul wants to point us this morning is to understand again, joy is something that goes beyond how you feel. Joy is different than feeling. Joy is different than, than happiness in the way that we often think of happiness. There's something deeper about joy in Christ. There's something miraculously tangible about the kind of revival work that God does in our hearts or may do in us corporately that that brings about a joy no matter what circumstances we might be in. So I titled the message this morning, Experiencing Joy No Matter What. If you were to think about your level of joy coming into the, the church this morning, you, you know, how, how, have you, how have you experienced joy? And you were to use a scale of 1 to 10, just think about this past week perhaps. How would you rate your joy? Ten being high, one being low. Just, just think. Don't say it, but think of a number. Where, where, where would you put yourself? Where would you put your week? And when you think about the number that you chose, I would ask, why did you score your joy that way? Was it based on a circumstance? Was it based on something that maybe just this happened to you this week? A set of circumstances that, that you've been going through at, at, for some maybe period of time. And if that's the way we're scoring joy based on circumstances, we probably need to be reminded again that joy means something other than that. So I want to start this morning by just recapping what we said over the last couple of Sundays, it's going to sound a little repetitive, but that's, in, that's, that's intentional because we, we have to be repetitive sometimes. Scripture is repetitive sometimes because we forget, right? We forget. 
And so what we want to repeat here is the, the, the definition that we're working on and what joy is biblically. Remember we said this, joy is a conviction based on truth, not a feeling based on circumstances. Joy is a, is a conviction that's based on what's true, not the way we feel that's based on our circumstances. I gave that definition a little bit more broadly. I said, it's a settled and unwavering belief, joy, that a very good God is always in control. The settled and unwavering belief that a very good God is always in control. It's not a feeling, joy. It's a conviction. It's based on who God is. Not based on what's going on around us or how we feel. And the, the good news of, of something that's rooted in who God is, is that God never changes. God is always good. He's always faithful. And therefore, as believers, if we can anchor our joy in who God is, we can anchor our joy in something that can be experienced no matter what our circumstances are. Paul is going to keep highlighting this by talking about his circumstances and how he's learning to see that regardless of how kind of lousy they may have seemed, God is at work. Look at verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the Gospel. And we have to go back and say, what, what happened to him? What, what's going on with Paul, what are his circumstances? Well, he's in prison. This is not what he had expected to have happened to him. That was not his plan. What Paul's plan was, was he was on a missionary journey. Several, in fact. But his, his ultimate goal was he wanted to keep heading west. Right? He wanted to keep going so that he could take the gospel, starting off in, you know, in the, in the in Palestine region and move all the way out to the ends of the earth as he knew it, to Spain. So he wanted to move through, through, uh, through Greece he wants to get into Italy. He wants to be in Rome. He wants to eventually end up in Spain. He wants to go as far as he can in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. That was what he intended to do. That was the trajectory he thought he would be on. And yet he finds himself here in chains. Everything comes to a halt. And he's in prison. So he says, that's what's happened to me. You've heard what's happened to me. But I want you to know something about it. Even though it's not what I thought it was going to be, I'm learning to see it in a different light. Now before we get into the way that he's beginning to see it, I, I want you to just keep thinking about you for a minute. Just apply this to you. What has happened to you? What are the circumstances around your life? And maybe what are the chains that you find yourself in? Chains come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes chains take the form of home life that's far from ideal. Sometimes chains take the form in poor health. Trouble at work. Trouble in your finances. Trouble in relationships. Maybe even those close relationships like marriage relationships or parenting relationships. What's happened to you? Where Paul wants to point us here is this. There's no accidents with God. 
He's good. He's always in control. No matter what your circumstances are, there are no accidents with God. I want to share with you an email that I I got. If you've been around here for a long time, you've heard me share this email before because I got this email a long time ago. It was from a friend of mine named Mario. And Mario... uh, Mario's an interesting guy. Mario is a, was, a, was probably one of the toughest guys I've ever known. Uh, when you look at Mario, he just looks tough. All right? he's, he's big and he's built and he's tatted up all over and he's, he's into football and he, he just looks like the Hulk. In fact, the Hulk is his favorite character. He wears Hulk stuff all the time. And so you just, he just exudes Hulk. Right? He's tough. So to get an email from Mario that... that sounded like he was anything but feeling tough, was, was pretty memorable. And this is the email that, that I got, and it went out to a, a group of people. He, he says, hey guys, we've just received the worst possible news about our little lady Reese. Now, Reese was their expected daughter, he and his wife. So he has three daughters already. They're expecting their fourth. She's still pregnant, his wife Carrie. And they, they get this news about the, the condition of the, the child. We found out that she has a Cardi syndrome. Not what we had hoped and prayed for. This syndrome is very, very rare. Only 500 cases in the world. If you Google a Cardi syndrome, the prognosis is not good. Usually mild to severe retardation is involved. And life expectancy is usually between 7 and 14 years. And then he just writes in big capital letters, Wow! Carrie and I have been drilled big time in the gut. We are beyond hurt and in pain. The only peace we have is in the Lord and in knowing He doesn't make mistakes. That's that's perspective in the midst of pain, right? It's just the beginning glimpses of some perspective in the midst of pain. But by God's grace, He's beginning to give Mario and Carrie in that moment that glimpse. I don't make mistakes. I'm still in control. I'm still good. There's no accidents with God. You know, when when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, a natural temptation for us is to sort of bounce or or look for better circumstances. And and it's not to say that it's never okay to to do that, but, but it can be very dangerous when we find that that's all we want to do in the midst of difficulty, to just look for an escape. Look for something better. Look to to bounce somewhere else. And the problem with that is that better circumstances rarely come. You might bounce out of this one, but you're going to bounce into that one. right? If you've lived long enough, you know that. And when you find yourself in a decent circumstance, you know that they don't seem to last. And Paul makes something clear here. To, to help us 
think rightly, when we think about just, can we just escape to better circumstances? Just a few verses later, look down in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 1. He says, for to you, believer, it's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. To experience the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. In other words, I'm in prison. My circumstances are not very good. And just so you know, you've been appointed in following Jesus to share in similar sufferings. There's the good news, right? Suffering isn't something we pursue, but it comes. And it does come. It's contrary to, you know, the. I got. I. I. I, uh, I was on LinkedIn. I'm never on LinkedIn, but I was on LinkedIn for some reason this week. And apparently, it's now. It looks like Facebook. This scrolling newsfeed, right? And somehow, I got connected to this guy. I don't know him. He's apparently a pastor somewhere. And anyway, I saw this post of his that was just one of those kind of like boxes with text in it. And it, and it said, somebody's going to have six figures deposited in their bank account by the end of this month. Name that and claim it for yourself. <laughs> My first reaction was, delete, unfollow, I don't know you, that's garbage. The second thought was, would you say that? Would you say Similarly, because more people will experience this, some of you will lose everything by the end of this month. Name that and claim that. God doesn't promise us to be without suffering and pain. But He does this. He uses it for our, for, for, for our good, for good purposes in our lives, that's the promise. And therefore, there are no accidents with God. If circumstances are the basis for our joy, we won't have joy. But if the reality of a good and loving God in whom we can place our faith, who we can believe is in control and good, if that's the basis for our joy, we can have joy no matter what. Let me read to you a follow-up email I got from Mario. This was just a few weeks later. He says, well, I'd be lying to you if I told you these haven't been the toughest days of our lives. They have. But because of our awesome God's grace, our perspective has changed about the situation. If Reese could talk, I really believe she would tell us not to worry about her. The God who created her knew exactly what He was doing and He's going to take us where He wants us to go. He says, enjoy the ride. This is a journey that the Lord will take our family through with so many blessings along the way. Carrie and I have realized this in the past few days. What's the worst thing that could happen to Reese? Death? If that's the case, we should be jealous. She's going to beat us to heaven. And he said, my eight-year-old daughter, Faith, said that. God's been speaking through our girls big time. Our girls never worry. They never show anxiety. They only show peace and hope through Christ. Isn't that what it's about? 
Carrie, his wife, and I mean this with our whole heart. We could not do this without our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Christ is our rock. Not by anything Carrie or I have done, only by the grace of the one true God are we able to move forward. Please, please don't feel sorry for us. Don't feel sorry for our girl. This is exactly what God wanted for our little family, period. And our God never makes mistakes. Never. We have a road ahead. Not a long road. A road that we would be going down with or without this situation with our family. God's in control of all of it. We we pray for a full-blown miracle. The miracles we might want might not be what He wants. We trust in Him no matter what. We trust in Him. And we're grateful. By the way, a little follow-up to that. Little Reese will turn 12 next month. She's never talked. She's never gotten out of her bed or her wheelchair. She's barely given a facial expression to her family members for 12 years. But every one of that family will tell you, and I've heard them say it multiple occasions, Reese has been the greatest blessing of their family by far. They wouldn't trade it for a million dollars. How do you get to that point? How do you get to the point where you can you could say, like Mario just said in that email, um, it's okay. God, God, God has us. This is exactly what God wanted, and and don't don't feel sorry for us. God is good in this. How do you get to that point? You get to that point when you can begin to at least believe, even if you're not yet seeing, the hand of God at work through your circumstances. That's kind of the second main idea that Paul's getting here. Joy comes from believing that the hand of God is at work through our circumstances. Verse 13. Remember at the end of verse 12, he says, I, I, you know what's happened to me. I want you to know that it's served to advance the Gospel. Here's how. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the Word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put there for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. I'm beginning to to see, or even when I can't see, I'm beginning to believe that God is at work through my circumstances. I think that's what he's getting at here. And that requires a reorientation of thought. Not my thoughts, right? I don't want to see things the way that that I humanly see them, but to begin to, to gain the perspective, how does God see this? How might God see this? And again, Even if I can't see it myself, can I believe God is good? God is sovereign. He's in control. So how He sees this has got to be good. There's no accidents 
There's no mistakes. Remember the, 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 the first time I preached this book was when I first arrived here at Edgewater. And the, the interesting thing about this particular passage, it happened to, to occur uh, the, the, <laughs> the worst week. One of the most difficult weeks of my life. On a, on a physical pain level, it was the worst week of my life. So the week before I, I originally preached this message in 2010... I had a big blowout with, with a, a, a disc problem that I have on my back. And it put me on the, on the floor, literally, for days. I couldn't move, and it was excruciating pain. And I remember that week being so confused and kind of angry, sinfully so. I had just arrived in Chicago. I, I, I had this strong sense that the Lord had called me here, and the, you know there was great things were going to begin to happen here at the church. And, and yet, within just a few weeks of arriving, I am completely laid out. Can't move. And thinking, God, what are you doing? Why would you bring me here and then do this? And so I had some help trying to get in to see a, a doctor. There was a, a particular doctor down at Rush that was supposed to be the, the, the right person to go see. The problem was that that doctor wouldn't take you if you'd had surgery within the, pr- the prior year, and I had. So the only way I was going to even get into the doctor was if the Lord were, intervened in some way. And guess what? He did. And I got an appointment to go. I just had to get into the car to go, and I couldn't get into the car. And so despite seeing God already being able to move in a pretty miraculous way and getting me an appointment that I shouldn't have gotten, all I could think of was, well, I can't get in the car, so thanks for that. I mean, I, I was, I'm just being honest, I was pretty, it's a rough week for me. Somehow I got in the car. And as we drove down to the hospital, it began to dawn on me hmm, I'm in the car. And I got to the hospital and they stuck me on this bed. And I, I was just in a corner and I was facing a wall and I was just staring at the wall. <laughs> and the Lord is beginning to start to soften my heart a little bit. And, and I was having thoughts like, I wonder if Paul, I wonder if Peter, I wonder if, if others whom we read about where bad things happen to them in the midst of their ministry calls, I wonder if they were crying like I am. I wonder if they were mad at God like I've been this week. And I think the Lord gave me this thought in the midst of me starting to beginning to unravel all that, giving this thought, um, what are you preaching on this week? Oh yeah. Suffering. Oh, oh yeah, joy in the midst of suffering. Seeing the hand of God at work in the midst of my suffering. Oh. It was like God was saying, this is sermon prep, Bill. I'm always at work. I'm always at work. And it's good. And I think that sermon that Sunday was probably way better <laughs> because I had gone through that experience. And this one may be better because I could relay that again. Back to Paul. Here he is. He's held by chains. And yet, somehow he's saying, you know, this is not what I wanted, but, but look at how God has used this to free me up to even do more ministry. Verses 12 and 13 are very interesting, right? He, he, he says here that, that, that I've been 
chained to imperial guards. I've, I've had this opportunity in this imprisonment to let the gospel be made known to all of them as I'm sitting here chained to them in this prison cell. That, that's a significant thing. Paul is imprisoned and, and handcuffed. He's handcuffed to a person all the time. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And that person is a member of the Imperial Guard. It's kind of like being handcuffed to a Secret Service agent for you know, every hour of the day. In that, the Imperial Guard had the same basic role that a Secret Service agent has. It was their job to protect Caesar, to protect the Emperor. In fact, they had a nickname. They were called kingmakers because not only did they guard the life of the emperor, but they were highly influential in choosing who the next emperor would be when the time came to choose a new one. So what's God doing? Paul, you're, you're, a, you're a, a vessel of mine to go out and preach the gospel. I know you wanted to get to Spain, but I have a better idea. I'm going to chain you next to guys who hang out with Caesar all the time. Preach the gospel to them. And so what happens? Paul says that many members of Caesar's own household, this, this everyone else he mentioned, came to Christ because of this imprisonment. Everybody in the prison knew, this is why I'm here. It's because of Christ. Oh, and God starts working in them, and many of even Caesar's household start following Jesus. Do you see the big picture here? God's sovereign plan of advancing the Gospel in Rome would be carried out through what would otherwise seem to be a pretty undesirable circumstance. The greatest leader of the church at this time, Paul, is in prison, but look how God's using it. One commentator puts it like this, what to most people, including many Christians, would appear to have been an unmitigated disaster was rather an unequaled opportunity for the progress of the Gospel. He says, that's how God's using it in my life, but He's also using it in yours. Furthermore, again, verse 14, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word, the word without fear themselves, right? Look how many people have responded with boldness on their own. Look how God has used this, this circumstance to increase ministry, not just with me, but with everybody. People are emboldened when they see the hand of God at work in other people's lives. There's a contagious nature to that. And we've seen that here in our church, right? Haven't you seen that? When, when people are going through difficult circumstances and, they've, and they're able in those circumstances to have gained the perspective to say, God is at work in this. And maybe you've helped them to gain that perspective, right? God is at work. How, how might God be at work in that? Whether through a death. Whether through a, a, a diagnosis of cancer or some disease. Whether through a transition where friendships are disrupted because people move, people leave. There's leadership transitions. Whether you've had financial discouragements. Or all kinds of other issues in our church family. Bad circumstances, right? Bad circumstances. Bad things that happen. Look at how many of you have responded in those, those bad circumstances with godliness, hope, courage, trusting in the sovereignty of God. 
and other people notice, and other people have followed suit. Right? God's at work. Another way Paul sees the hand of God through his circumstances, again in these verses 15 to 18, you've got these, these people who are preaching Christ. He says some of them are doing it because they're, they're sort of standing in the gap. They're taking the spot that, that I, I can't occupy out there and they're doing it with good motives. And then there's other people who are doing it almost like they're, they're trying to, to, to rub it in somehow. There's, there's bad motives in the way that they're preaching Christ. And he, and he says what? He says, I don't care. Jesus is being proclaimed. Right? My reputation could be sullied here. My, my social standing. I mean, I, there's a lot of things that are on the line here. What then? I don't know. Jesus is being proclaimed. My perspective's changed. The hand of God is still at work. And Paul says, so I rejoice. I rejoice. That happens when we proclaim Him in our circumstances, regardless of what they are. When we proclaim Him first, no matter what, we can say, God's at work. And I can rejoice. How about, can I just give you a little aside too? Um, I think this is an important thing to say. Joy and fun aren't the same thing. Joy and fun aren't the same thing. Why is that important? I think well, I think it's important because we we have a a, 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 a culture that that tries to point us to fulfillment and fun. You're gonna go home today, maybe you're gonna maybe watch some football games, and and every commercial that you see is gonna basically be trying to sell you this idea that your life will be better, you'll have more fun if you can get these different products or these different circumstances. Right? It's about it's about fun. And again, as I said earlier, we can, we can get into this easy mindset and this easy habit of trying to jump from circumstance to circumstance. And what do we say often when we're doing that? I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun. This stinks. I want to go have fun. Let's go have fun. Let's jump here. Let's, let's jump there. Fun is a search for joy through better circumstances. But it's a, it's a, it's a vain search. Because better circumstances are elusive. It's a counterfeit to joy. That's the point. And I think it's an intentional one by Satan. Satan tries to deceive us with counterfeits. Fun is like this prescription drug. You know, it, the world's prescribing it to us all the time, right? It, it, it's, 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 it just serves to treat symptoms, though. It doesn't get to the root problem. Like any other prescription drug, it's... It not only treats symptoms, but it can become addictive and then it becomes abused and then destructive and it's this roller coaster of a life. Don't try to fill your, your holes in life with fun. <laughs> okay? I'm not against fun, by the way. I like having fun. I'm just saying, don't try to fill the joys or the holes in your life with fun distractions from your problems. They, they, they won't ever get to the root of where your joy really needs to come from. So joy and fun aren't the same thing. Just write that down. That's an aside. That's not really from the text, but I think it's an important thing to, 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 to sting. Lastly, let's say this. We're, we're, we're saying 
Our joy is, is, is not in our, our circumstances. We're saying that, that we can have joy no matter what. How? Lastly, joy is in knowing that all the things that happen, it's not about me. It's about exalting Jesus. That's where joy ultimately comes from. To, to be able to say, God, you're at work, right? Your, your, your hand's moving, but, but here's, the, here's the thing. Whatever happens to me and however you're at work, I, will, I may benefit from that, but it's not about me. It's about you. Verse 15 through 20 again. Remember, he's saying, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So you can see in all those things that he's saying there, the, bo- the bottom line is this. My aim isn't my fame. My aim isn't my comfort. My aim isn't my prosperity. My aim is that Christ would get all of that glory. That His name would be made great through whatever happens to me, whatever circumstances I'm in. Christ, You get the glory. And that's the root of my joy. When I know that He's getting that glory... When the world can look at my circumstances and no matter what's going on with me, go, Jesus is good somehow. That's the source of my joy. So that seems so, so opposite of, of, of a rational way of thinking. How is it that we find joy when somebody else is exalted? When something else is exalted? Well, again, because we're made for something bigger than ourselves. You remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. I, I, I said, nobody stands in front of the Grand Canyon and, and says, wow, I'm so great. Right? Nobody stands in front of a 14,000 foot mountain and feels really big about themselves. Right? You're, you're very humbled in those moments. And yet at the same time, those are some of the most exhilarating experiences of our lives. Why? Because that's what you were made for. You were made to exalt in something bigger than yourself. You were made to ultimately exalt in the biggest thing of all. Jesus Christ. The King. The Creator. The Sustainer of all things. How much more joy when we gaze upon the majesty of an exalted Christ. And so Paul would say to us that, look, when, when I see how God has used these undesirable circumstances in my life to advance the gospel, to make much of, of Jesus Christ, when I see how God has encouraged the church, and I see that God is saving people, that God is saving people in the most unbelievable of places, even in the household of Caesar, how could I not have an attitude of joy? It's not about me. It's about Him. 
I think some of you know what that's like. Have you experienced that in your life? I, I know many of you have. Times when you are, you are full of Christ. And at the same time, you're living by faith with nothing to grab onto but Him. Because everything around you is crumbling. Do you experience that? Those times when you're not just memorizing Scripture, but you feel like, I'm living it. Those times when, when, when you really feel like, I'm clinging to Jesus. And it's difficult. And it's hard. And somehow in the midst of it, even in the pain of it, you begin to glimpse, this is living. Because I'm experiencing the goodness and the grace of God and I know that what he's doing in my life right now certainly isn't about me, but I, I can sense that he's getting glory. I can sense that I'm, I'm trusting him, I'm exalting him. Other people are seeing that. Other people are saying glory to God through this. And I'm, I'm living. I'm alive. Moments like those make everything else seem very dim by comparison. I really have appreciated over the last you know, nine plus years not having back problems. I like having a healthy back. But i got to say this, a healthy back without fullness of Christ is dim. If I need to have my back blown out in order to remind me of the goodness and the glory and the sufficiency of Christ, then so be it. Because <laughs> everything else is dim. Financial security, relationships that are not conflict-ridden or whatever. I mean, all those things are great, but, but all those things without experiencing the joy of living by faith, they're dim. That's what Paul's trying to get us to see here. He says that there's an attitude I want you to have about your lives, about the circumstances that are going on. I don't know what your circumstances are. I don't know why they are what they are, but I know this, God is good. God is in control. So take your eyes off of you, put them on Him. And when you can do that, this is me talking, I'm not speaking for Paul here, right? But I think Paul would agree with me. When you can do that, ask God to show you what is it for. And I believe that He will. God, what is all of this for? I believe that He'll show you. Now, when I say that, I don't think that He will necessarily show it to you immediately. In fact, for some of us, I think it's fair to say that it may not be until you are standing before the judgment seat itself on the day of your death and in the presence of God that He'll fully reveal to you what it was that He was doing. But He will reveal it to you. And you won't be disappointed. Because in whatever it is that He reveals to you, He will reveal this to you. You were a vessel in His hands to bring Him glory. And that will be your greatest joy. And it will be the fulfillment of your highest calling. And you will say, I praise you, God. And He will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So my encouragement to you as I close is this. 
Seek for a 10 rating in your joy this week. (laughs) Seek for a 10 rating in your joy this week. Not because you have better circumstances or good circumstances, but because you have a good God. Get with Him. Plead for opportunities to experience the fullness of Christ and the wisdom to see with eyes when those times come, and they will come, and they often come a lot, to see the difference between a 10 rating and like a 5 or a 4 or a 3 rating. The difference is simply this. It's whether or not you have the perspective to see that God wants to do something in those circumstances or or whether you ignore that fact. That's the difference between a 10 and a 4. So seek the 10. God is good. God loves you. God wants to fill you with Christ in ways that will only come by traversing the valleys of life. Father, we thank You for what You've said to us this morning. We thank You for this reminder through Paul's circumstances that You are you're bigger than our circumstances. So Lord, I, I'm just mindful that as, as, as this Word has been proclaimed this morning, as we've read it, as I've explained it, That we have, we have a room full of people who are all over the map in, in how, they're, how they're feeling this morning. But Lord, I'm thankful for this, that in Christ we aren't all over the map in, in how we're actually doing this morning. Because we belong to You and Your Son. Our sins are forgiven. Our hope is certain. And our God is good. So gird us up in that truth. Help us to go out with more joy and increase our joy. Even in the midst of increased pain and sorrow, Lord, increase our joy. Help us to believe that a very good God is always in control. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen.